0: It's a great humbling experience to watch people watch what you made and you spent so much time trying to put it out there. And when I say, remember the human, it's more like, remember to get their attention in the right way. Even a terrible ad that people are making fun of, I guess would be better than the one that nobody saw at all. Like that literally plays out there and it doesn't connect to anybody. It didn't offend anybody, but it didn't really move anybody. And it's like, nobody's looking for your ad Everybody's got too many things coming at them. Entertain me, make me feel something good.
1: Welcome to Building Better CMOs, a podcast about how marketers can get smarter and stronger. I am Greg Stewart, the CEO of the nonprofit MMA Global. And the voice you heard at the top is Leslie Sims, the Chief Marketing and Creative Officer at Impossible Foods. I was really excited to have Leslie on the podcast because, like me, she comes from the ad agency world in New York City. Before she joined Impossible Foods in 2022, she worked at McCann World Group, my favorite, Young and Rubicam, Ogilvy, and Deloitte Digital. Now, today I'm Building Better CMOs, Leslie and I are going to talk about the difficulties that plant-based meat companies have and have had to overcome, emphasizing your value prop not just to consumers, but to humans, and why the wrong answer often looks right at first, and so much more. This podcast is all about the challenges that marketers face and unlocking true power that marketing can have. Leslie Sims is going to tell us how she did that right after this. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Well, Leslie Sims of Impossible Foods. How nice for you to join me today.
0: Well, hello there. Thank you very much for having me today. Great to see you.
1: This is going to be fun. I mean, listen, both you and I have, you bigger than me, I think, but uh, both have ad experience backgrounds, don't we?
0: Yes, quite deeply, actually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All different kinds.
1: Did you ever think you would leave the agency world? Do you think you'd stay there forever or were you looking for an exit ramp at some point? I'm just curious.
0: No, you know, I love agency world. I mean, I would probably still and even my last gig before this was dabbling into the consultant world because I was really curious about why are agencies not getting the money seems to be going in a lot of other places. Where the heck is that going? Mm-hmm. But I was still within the agency side, Deloitte Digital and in all the branding and yeah. ecosystem building. But yeah, I, I love the agency side. I don't think I would have left if it weren't this opportunity, probably. And Peter calling
1: you know what it was for me? It was the internet. I was running the interactive group within uh, one of the yr agencies. You and I both have yr oh, yeah. backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know what it was? You'll, you'll laugh at this. Because I was this shiny object, you know, that head of interactive. At one point it would have been whoever ran mobile was a I shiny object. I fully
0: remember, man. I remember the digital creatives. We were like, whoa. They called them ninjas back then though.
1: And I got dragged into every new business presentation we did. And I just reached a point where I was like, you know what? I, I just don't know. I want one more Friday of their coming to me and saying, cancel your plans. You need to be here all weekend. We have a new business pitch on Monday.
0: But I will tell you that was every creative. I mean, especially, you know, and when you're leading the place, it's certainly every weekend. So yeah. I think in that regard, you're just talking agency life. And I think it's getting worse, Yeah, which yeah. I can't believe. It used to feel like it was hard, but it's really... People are pitching just for campaign actions now. So it's a unique time out there for sure. But
1: I loved agency world. Listen, it was a lot of fun, though. I mean, I I like the idea of having to step in and figure out somebody's business really fast, understand the problem and bring solutions quickly to the table, because that's generally what they were oriented to.
0: Well, I think, you know, in the best cases for the great clients, they recognized it as the business driver that it was. It was your best innovation pipeline is you could run a campaign and suddenly people were looking at your product differently tomorrow than they did yesterday. And without really almost having to do anything, you know, to earn that. Amazing. And, you know, with the best clients, they would be willing to do some pretty interesting and provocative things. And lo and behold, some of the best projects I'd ever worked on ended up being huge drivers for their bottom line as well. So I have a real appreciation for it.
1: I think I looked up, did you do the easy button for Staples? Was that really you, you and your oh team? Oh
0: my goodness, I definitely was on that team, yeah. Oh my God. It was fun. That was a tough sell-in, but yeah, really? talk about-
1: It's so obvious, yeah. it's the perfect campaign, right? <laughs>
0: <What? laughs> really? I love talking to all my digital friends about you guys are talking about apps and things, and I made a button that didn't do anything, but just <laughs> talked a lot and it made them 100 million bucks. And it became their highest single selling skew did it. Within their staple stores. Over, to, over the toner. Itself. The button itself. Not only the and brand, it, in seven it became different a product. Languages. It became a product.
1: It was a product. It became
0: a product that was an absolute, and they made all the revenue on it, you know, instead of having to split it with all the toner companies. It was straight up revenue for them. That was one that at the time they were very hesitant to buy that campaign because they're like, we're, you know, we knew we were easy, but it's not like anybody can say easy if you're a breakfast waffle or if you're a whatever. And we were like, but you guys will say it first. It's like physical manifestation. It's just one of those things that I'm comfortable in, in looking at what can be. Yeah. I have a lot of weaknesses, but I'm very comfortable with trying to look into a hunch based activity of, and that's what creative really is. It's like, what do we think is going to work? You're never going to have data. that's going to hundred percent prove everything. No,
1: no, not until you get out there. You never know for sure, right?
0: Yeah. So I give them a lot of credit. They jumped for it and they went and it, it worked really well for them. Drove a lot of sales.
1: Today we'll be performing a triple hopping with a procedure.
0: But you've never done that
1: before. That's okay. Wouldn't it be nice if there was an easy button for life? Now there's one for your business. Staples. That was easy. So I don't know if you remember kind of when the idea maybe first got bantied about within the agency, even before the client. Did you know it was a good idea when you first heard it or did it take a little while to kind of orient towards it?
0: Well, my partner and I came up with it. So kind of we're biased. We thought it was brilliant, of course. <laughs> we <were laughs> well, like, but you can still go. So I mean, are we,
1: Are we kidding ourselves? Do Let's we think go this to is lunch.
0: Like a- we probably had to write 20, and I'm not exaggerating, 20 different campaigns to show how it could potentially launch because there was a lot of hesitation internally over there and i think their ceo finally kind of was working with our chief creative at the time joyce king thomas to say just do it just pull the trigger and do this one the other one that they were looking at was like a character that was made out of office supplies so they were feeling like that one was more tied to the brand and so this was on their side a leap but on our side we were like i think everybody's gonna get one of these things it's a metaphor but it's like this You know, this was back in the early 2000s. We always thought it was brilliant. We had a lot of convincing to do. And I will just add, we were asked off our own campaign after the first six months because as creatives. We were so like, we know where this can go. You could make these. You could actually sell these. And they were just like, you're overreaching. You know, it was a good learning opportunity for me to know how far to push and when, <laughs> when to stop. But we were so like, we well, could see this. We know it could work. And lo and behold, over time, it did end up getting made and had a long life. But you learn through your failures sometimes, too. So that was a nice, humbling experience to get off asked off of our own campaign. But it was very satisfying to have it go out in the world and even more satisfying in these days to be able to point at things. And there's a lot of really great creative out there that's also driving business. Mm -hmm. And um, I just love finding those as often and as frequently as possible to defend creativity because I think even now in the buildings that I work in, a lot of clients, well, not a lot of clients now, even the people around me, it's hard to justify creative because it is so ephemeral. Yes, and yes, yet, to your point, like so much work goes into it. I mean, we literally, if you could put in as much data information, but yet nobody, one of my favorite examples as a brand act was that Ocean Spray, TikTok. Do you remember that back during COVID? That dude who-
1: The guy drinking on the skateboard?
0: If an agency had made that and a client had been there- No way. It would have been- No way. He, He's got a tattoo on his head. I don't know whether that would be somebody that's aspirational. It's more than a single serving. It's the old music. Who's going to, we need young music.
1: Everything was wrong. Everything was wrong with that.
0: And it was magic. And yet, yeah. It's magic. And so yeah. how we're like, how do you keep that magic? How do you know which magic it's going to be? And when you try and make it down into this rational thing, it leaves less room for that magic to happen. And so that's, yeah. I love finding projects. If I have any in my past, I have a, a decent amount that also were really great at driving the brand, but also won, you know, in the award shows. But it's truly one of the only things that can absolutely take a brand and shoot it out of a cannon as far as both revenue and relevance is some kind of creative application.
1: You know, it's funny you say that, Leslie. And by the way, the listeners don't know this was not at all the conversation we were planning to have, but it's <laughs> kind of what happens. I did the funniest present. you love this. So I got to found multi-touch attribution, give a new way of measuring. But the issue that happened in that, in the book that the gentleman and I actually wrote around that, was and I'm going to go in a funny direction because I'm talking about a measurement product, right? So transformation, how measurement works. Okay. What was interesting about that is that what we realized is that most marketing campaigns didn't have a solid strategy, and the consumer too often didn't understand the goddamn message. Mm-hmm. And so we took a step back and says, long before you start measuring how you bring this to market in an effective channel based approach, you got to make sure the strategy's right. You got to make sure that they even understand it and aren't confused in somewhere. Okay. So it was interesting about that. I got asked to do a presentation at an ANA event for the CFOs. I'll never forget oh, this. Oh my
0: God, bless you, man.
1: I basically walked in. I'll never forget. I walked in. I'd never given this presentation since. I gonna give it once. I basically said, let me explain to you why you CFOs and you in procurement are ruining your own businesses. I'm not here to save the agencies. They will live or die based on their own. It has nothing to do with it. I'm telling you what you're getting wrong. And it was all about, I basically ran the mathematics behind the X factor of magic
0: oh my i would like to see that i would love to see that
1: i remember it was bob liadice who ran the he was sitting in the front row and from what i recall he was so sort of horrified i was talking to his members in this way but i was like you're killing it. like you're missing the point like my I think my basic thing is with the greatest return on investment is getting better creative done right
0: oh like oh my god i'm violently plus wanting you right now like Yes, please.
1: Forget all this other bullshit, the procurement about, you know, working down CPMs. And listen, I have all the background to not have gone there, but I've been in the agency where I saw it, the magic can happen. And that's what you just said. But it's very hard.
0: When the magic happens, it, sometimes it doesn't happen though. And that's, that's the, the, the real yeah. shame of it. And so you're just like, I still believe in the magic. I'm learning all of the different kind of performance yep. tactics yep. that you can do. And I'm fascinated with the potential of AI. We're working with media monks right now and some of our other digital ecosystems and but what I think brought me into this job was the opportunity. I've also, you know, in the last 10 years or so, become more panicked about the environment. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I'm really, yeah. as, you know, as, I don't know whether it's being a parent, whatever's been happening. I'm yeah, just you're more concerned about aware the than ever. Yeah. We're really messing it up. We're really screwing a lot of stuff up. and. We need more companies that are solving the problem, but letting us continue to live the way we do, Yeah, (laughs) you know, because people are very hard to change. Behavior is very difficult and it's hardwired. So this brand is the perfect blend of an environment warrior brand and also cheeseburgers. This is a my favorite <laughs> Venn diagram, you know. You're
1: saving so, the world and then it's also, it's about as American pie.
0: And I can go eat nachos, yeah, and still be like killing it. And it's for profit. So, you know, not everything that's for the planet needs to be, you know, non-profit. So the opportunity to come into this company, now we're just starting.
1: Well, I saw the data here. I, you shouldn't quote it. I can just publicly, I don't know, 200 million revenue, something like a little bit less than that, I think. You know, yeah, it's still, It's you're just getting started as a category.
0: We're still privately held. There's us and then there's beyond. We see ourselves as a $2.5 billion industry, okay. which is the plant based meat, which is not like a Morningstar.
1: So just take a moment and explain Impossible, Impossible Foods to the audience. So just make sure everybody has a root in that so they know the business. Yeah. And the role of, we kind of touched yeah. on I, You and I started to half in because we both know the story and we're big fans of Peter McGinnis. That's why you're there. I love Peter as the CEO. So. But go ahead.
0: Impossible Foods was a company that was embedded by, a brilliant guy named Pat Brown. And he has a great podcast that he was on um, called How I Built This. Great for people to go back and listen to. And it's the first experience I had with this brand during COVID walking my dog around the neighborhood, you know, a hundred times a day. But um, it's a new category and it's basically taking plants and putting it together in a way that it acts and behaves like meat. Yes, And not just like Morningstar Farms, which has been around for 20 years, but meat like your cheeseburger that you know and love and beyond is our probably our closest cousin in this world and um, we have different formulations but we're in the same place and you know we've only been in existence i think the company started 10 years ago but that was like in deep innovation phase we launched at burger king somewhere back i think it was like 2018 and uh, had the impossible whopper which made it mass overnight so everybody could give it a shot
1: we fed beef lovers a whopper with no beef you tastes can't better. imitate beef it just tastes better turns out these beef lovers love plants too that's an impossible whopper i'm a damn fool impossible whopper with a patty made from plants only a burger king
0: and then we were in grocery started really heavy up during covid and there was a lot of experimentation obviously back then so we were just shooting out of that cannon there just into the world. And with this brand new product that people were like, wow, I don't know whether I believe you. And then they would try it and go, you do tits just like me. And the problem was, (laughs) and then they just go back to eating meat because they were all assuming, you know, and that's great now that these vegetarians and vegans can have a cheeseburger too, you know, with their vegan cheese, if they can find it. And we were like, you know, we love the vegetarian and vegan populations, a hundred percent, and they have been our core, core. But our real goal is obviously to make an impact on the planet and the well-being. You know that the impact of animal agriculture in greenhouse gas emissions, in water usage, is more than the transportation sector globally, and most people yeah. don't know that. That the food that you eat, and primarily
1: cattle. I've heard that. Yeah. Cattle has more negative impact than our cars. Is it that far?
0: Literally every car, truck, boat, every one of Elon's rockets that go into space, all of those combined do not have the same impact as animal agriculture and of that primarily mostly beef. I've heard that. And here's a great statistic for you. 45% of the landmass on the planet that isn't covered in ice is being used to either raise cattle to eat, or grow food to then truck and feed these cattle to raise them fast so that we'll eat them.
1: Crazy. So
0: 45% of the landmass for just comparison, not quite 2% of the landmass of the planet. That's not covered by ice is cities, townships, paved areas (laughs) just for comparison. So our appetite to eat, especially beef, the least efficient food on the planet is Absolutely making such an impact on our greenhouse gas emissions. And so there's this product now that if we could move people over to eating this, where Pat Brown was going at the beginning was, this could bridge us as a globe. To keep those emissions down until we are a fully green electrical grid, until we are up to speed on all of our other energy sources. So they had invented this. Google tried to buy them. Incredible, incredible product. I mean, I love all of our products. The problem has been exactly that. People out in the world are thinking, yeah, but why would I eat it? I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian. And we've never as a company, because when we came out, I think they were just getting such great press and it was such new news and people were trying it. They just saw it going up, up and up and up. And all of a sudden it kind of started right as I started, frankly. So I'm not going to take it personally, but we started kind of slowing down a bit.
1: It was so overhyped and so excited. And I I think what you're suggesting there, if if I'm hearing right, was the foundation strong enough- was the narrative, the messaging, I bet is where you're going to go strong enough to continue for this to go, which is what we're going to get into. Yeah. Hey, before we go there, can I ask you one other thing? You oddly too have listed on your LinkedIn profile, which is so funny to me. I don't know if you added it, but you worked at a place called A Bar A Ranch in Wyoming. What?
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. And you
1: put it on LinkedIn. That's what's really, I mean, it's funny. Well, you didn't want to have any gaps
0: in the old resume, right? So I wanted people (laughs) to know I was there, but Yes, I did work at a ranch, but it was a guest ranch. So it was more, okay. they have horses and okay. and people take their families there. And it was probably one of the beginning stages of, I call it my first midlife
1: crisis, but it <laughs> okay. was, um. Well, wait, wait, that was pretty early on in your career though, from I know, what I tell. I that's hoping
0: because, you know, I was 27, so it doesn't get, bode well for me. I'm hoping that I'm going to have, you know, staged <laughs> variety of midlife crises <laughs> Okay, good. Yeah, it was a real appreciation for the outdoors. You know, when I was there, there were there wasn't the Internet. There weren't cell phones. It was back when God was a boy. But it was um, a really amazing time to go and just convene with nature, frankly, and serve people probably a ton of steaks and things. You're right. So there's a little bit of
1: irony there. There you go. I've driven across America. I've told people, I said, you don't think there's much in Nebraska Wait till you get to Wyoming? Hey, no. I mean, really just hey, no. Nothing up Wyoming's there. got that's, a lot of stuff. That's said from the New York City boy here, so I guess maybe that's, uh, you know.
0: Well, I, I encourage everyone to go to Wyoming, not just skiing, but Laramie, outside of Laramie, the parts out there. Beautiful, but lots of sagebrush. But
1: Amazing. Yeah, I'm a lot of sagebrush. Exactly. Thank you Okay, for, okay. Thank you well, listen, for recognizing listen, Let's get that. into building better CMOs. So, okay, listen, the MMA's job, we're a nonprofit trade association. My job is to go fix stuff, to find problems. So uh, as great as... I love the ad business as great as I understand. I, and I've worked with a lot of great creative people like you. I just, I love that part of the business. And obviously my board is, up. but I think we've got a lot of challenges in this business that we still need to work on. So I always like to ask the guests, like, what do you think marketers don't necessarily fully appreciate or understand? What do you think we get wrong about the business as a general sense? What do you think we could just be more appreciative of it, to be more focused on to a greater emphasis on that will help make marketing marketers more successful? What do you think that is in your opinion?
0: You know, you start with the easy questions, don't you? (laughs) I'm like, God, I was hoping you were going to tell me. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I mean, those (laughs) are... I could give you a long list. That's why we have that podcast. Those are good questions. What I would say, you know, I have the benefit and privilege of having to be able to work across a a huge variety of different kinds of brands, products, sectors over the course of my career. I I was an agency side, as you mentioned, for you know, 25 years and worked on everything from Cirque du Soleil yeah. to the postal service and the Navy to Budweiser, Miss America.
1: Yeah. Miss America. Yeah. I, in fact, I think I said not to distract you from your answer, but I think I saw some, you took the bikini out of Miss America. Yeah.
0: Well, that was Gretchen Carlson. What a you. badass. But yeah, she had called us and said, you know, I just inherited this brand. I don't know what to do. And we were like, we'll work on it if there was no bathing suit competition. And she's like, you know what? <laughs> I'll what you yeah. I'll do We were like, we had a lot of women at the agency. And I was like, guys, Pre-Barbie days, pre-everything. I was like, we got a call. Would you guys want to work on it? And they were all like, yes, because these are brilliant women. And somehow it turned into a bathing suit competition. And and like the women who are competing in this competition, it's for scholarship money. Like it's that one absolutely needed a rebrand. But I give Gretchen Carlson a ton of credit there.
1: It was off brand. Exactly. Or off.
0: It needed a full You know, like these women, the first human face transplant was done by a woman who won Miss America. So
1: really, I didn't.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of misconception out there. I think that all went haywire when their sponsor, their first sponsor that they got to cover them was a bathing suit company. And so lo and behold, then all of a sudden they had to shove themselves into bathing suits to win a freaking scholarship. So welcome to marketing
1: kind of like Impossible Foods, the world gets better over time, maybe, right? Well, I hope. Uh, I mean, that's the goal.
0: And it's shifting mindsets, shifting long-held behaviors.
1: Let's go back to, so what is a big sort of challenge, opportunity, or missed, you know, that you think is going on out there from your experience working with a, a lot of agencies and clients over the years?
0: In general, you know, and I've always come from the side of the fence of we're much more focused on the humans that are at the end of the whatever medium you've chosen to go after them on. And I know there's a lot of data and there's a lot of ways that we can be predictive about them, but at the end of the day, and I'll quote this from a guy named Christopher Graves, who has been to behavioral science. Maybe I can't remember. He was at Ogilvy. He was brilliant. Like he and Rory Sutherland were two of my favorites. I love listening to them all the time. And
1: oh, I love Rory. Chris
0: Graves is so genius that he's like, you know, with all the innovations that have been coming out in the world always keep in mind that there's a 10,000 year old OS that's on the other end operating it. And that's the human brain. Our brains have not updated in 10,000 years. You can put an iPhone in front of it. It doesn't matter. We're still responding as us. But don't forget that just because it's showing up on a feed or whatever, and we're so fixated on the medium that you got to remember that the things that compel us are largely the same. And how can you make sure that that persuasion shows up and manifests i guess my answer would be i spent a good majority of my career just trying to make sure that the human is not forgotten the human nature which is usually wildly irrational and will respond you need to get their attention and the idea would be how do you get the attention and also get them to feel something hard to do in mid and lower funnel You know, but those things are, you know, we've got a, the conversion tactics and all of this. I'm learning. You mean with
1: a 10% offer doesn't really accomplish that? You're saying it doesn't really you know, hey, maybe.
0: I would love to debate all day long, like what ROI. And I'll tell you, maybe because I'm new at this and I never will claim that I've nailed it. I'm still fascinated. I love learning even at this stage in my career when I feel like I've learned. I knew a lot about brands and stuff like this. But ROI is a great example of. So what's more valuable? getting somebody and the solo stove thing I don't know whether anybody's talked about it but that totally freaked me out and I'm like this is maddening but
1: I saw that in your email note I don't know if I know what that is I'm sorry why am I clueless
0: Snoop Dogg just did the I've given up smoke and everybody was like what Snoop's not going to be smoking anymore and then it turned out that he was doing it was a great activation on behalf of smokeless solo stoves
1: I'm giving up smoke I know what you're thinking Snoop Smoke is kind of your whole thing, but I'm done with it. Done with the coughing and my clothes smelling all sticky, icky. I'm going smokeless. Solo stole fixed fire. They took out the smoke. Clever.
0: It was great. And then their CEO was fired about a month and a half later because sales weren't what the board was expecting. And you go, excuse me? First of all, that happened in November. So I would question when do people buy these things? Like when's busy mm-hmm. season for those kinds yeah. of things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But second of all, I just don't think there's a better activation to get in people's brains and go, all right, so they may not buy it right now. So now we're to ROI. Is it more valuable to know that you just got however many million potential customers who, if they're ever in the category, they're going to buy that, or would it have been better to put all of that into a conversion tactic of 20% off blaring out or 50% off to the ones who are looking just so that you could sell? Like, I don't know whether there's a right answer for that. I obviously index on the former, but I understand that you, know, you need to be hitting numbers. You need to be making sure that the business is doing well. You're taking care of the bottom line as well as your future bottom line. But
1: I like that idea. Let's go back to it. So what does it mean to put Let's make sure we're right. Is it putting human in the messaging, in the communications, in the strategy positioning? Talk more about what that means to you and how. And then ultimately, the next one I'm going to go after, which I'll, I'll, I'll repeat, is how have you done that over your, you know, vast career as a chief creative officer and so on? What does that mean to put human in it? How do you start to know when you maybe got it right or don't have it right? Or
0: It's pretty easy. You know, what's hard is that what's wrong always looks right. It's the panic work that we were talking about. When you start to feel like I've got to put more in here. Oh, What if they aren't compelled by this? What if they need that it's also works in the air fryer? And so you can start to cram it with information. And I guess I'm always saying, remember the human in that, like, how many ads do you remember seeing today? I guarantee you, you've probably had at least 100 thrown at you, depending on even whether you've left the house.
1: So I think the stats are most people are exposed to 1,500 ads a day, something like that. It's a big, yeah. big number. Yeah, a shocking number. And you'd have very little recall. You'd have very little How many do you I remember? Couldn't even, I don't think I can name one. And you're one.
0: in the category. This is, And yeah. you're running yeah. a podcast I pay attention
1: this to this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Most people I love, usually using my family, um, grew up in South Carolina, mm-hmm. could not really care less about what I do, but they're awful nice to me anyway. They're just like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. You make commercials and whatnot. But um, it's a great, humbling experience to watch people watch what you made and you spent so much time trying to put it out there. And when I say, remember the human, it's more like, remember to get their attention in the right way. Even a terrible ad that people are making fun of, I guess, would be better than the one that nobody saw at all. Like that literally plays out there and it doesn't connect to anybody. It didn't offend anybody, but it didn't really move anybody. And it's like, nobody's looking for your ad. Nobody. Everybody's got too many things coming at them.
1: Yep, Entertain
0: me, make me feel something good if you get to me and then I see something else somewhere and it makes me remember like, Oh, I think I saw something about that. Give me something quickly that is either going to help me make me laugh Make me laugh is going to be one of the best things that happens on Sunday. I, I never go to any Super Bowl parties because I am maniacal about watching all the ads and I never want to see them before. I hate all these release them early because oh. I want to only see them on the day. Interesting.
1: Of. You want to see them. I'm just in a, a purist. In I just, it's you my are. favorite
0: day. And I love to see what brands are throwing their hats in the ring because they understand the medium. They understand why they're there. They're like, I've got to entertain.
1: but I have one moment.
0: Yeah, I've got this. Everybody's watching and I've got to be cool, but I'm also selling something, you know? So I'm like, why isn't everything like that? We should be remembering that it doesn't mean that you have to get a celebrity for everything. But for crying out loud, Mm -hmm. if you're trying to throw a banner at me, recognize that I am not looking for your banner. Put that in it first, too, versus I was able to fit the logo and three bullet points of things in there. And it just like (laughs) I, I constantly am saying, you know, remember, there's a person who doesn't give a crap that's on the other end of wherever it is that you're sending this. And there is technology that allows them to skip it. So, A, try and get to them and make it interesting. Make me cry or laugh or whatever. And then it would be great if you actually had a product that brought something to the table. It's a super complex thing. But at the end of the day, we're helping save the planet. We're helping the environment. But people don't necessarily want to hear that when they're eating a cheeseburger, you know.
1: Let's take a quick break. We'll be back right after this with Leslie Sims. This is Building Better CMOs. Let's get back to my conversation with Leslie Sims, the Chief Marketing and Creative Officer at Impossible Foods. I suspect at some level, like I said, I spent a lot of time at the agency. I wasn't on the creative side, I was on the business side, but I had a lot of respect and I love working with the creatives. Some of the great creative people I used to work with, I said they are operating in a unique data stream in the world. They see things completely different. Okay, it seems to me there's three basic parts. One is the core of an idea. How do you figure out where you're going to focus, what you're going to do? So that's the first kind of thing. Second part of that is then, I, and I've never asked anybody this question, so I'm going to be curious. How do you know when you're sitting alone with your creative partner, in the office that you got it right? How do you recognize that like, that's it? That's it, I know that's it. I'd love to hear your reactions to that. And then the third part of it is the hardest part, is how do you convince everybody else that that's the right goddamn idea? And please run the thing people, because I'm telling you it's gonna work. right? How many great ideas? I mean, I won't ask what percentage of great ideas never made it because the client just couldn't get there for whatever reason.
0: There's a lot of complexity. Some clients have massive amounts of franchisees that, you know, have their own. So I now have an appreciation for that. Yeah. Yeah. The
1: least oriented to the art of human connections or whatever, a franchisee then actually having to take responsibility to try to bring, to to have them assess that really hard. Okay. So talk about those three parts. I mean, you can focus on one of those, you can go after all of them, but How do you get to the right orientation first? And then how do you know you, how would you know that you even got it right?
0: Starting with the idea, I think, is the most critical because then otherwise you're just doing an execution. And if you've got one execution, you don't have anything. Like you've got to have something at the core of that. MasterCard was a great example, which by the way, tested not great. And I'll come back to that. Priceless
1: did not test well.
0: It got a three. Ouch. Which I think would qualify as a lower left box. You know what I mean? So. When you over rely on data, just remember in testing, people don't do what they say they're going to do. There is literally no way of knowing. So there's a certain amount of it's informed by data. You've got a lot of strategy of finding the white space. You look at consumer competition, what's happening in culture, and then your own company. And that's what agencies are maniacally putting together art and the fanciful and the Mm -hmm. magic Mm -hmm. together with hardcore data points of like, here's what nobody else is saying. Here's what your real value is to people. When you look at what's meaningful to people out in the world, here's where you should aim. And then that's when they brief the creatives and the creatives go off and aim where the dartboard is. And then they try and come up with an execution that can then hopefully replicate, or you can do new ways of doing that and come up with an idea core foundation. So I think coming up with that foundational platform idea, whatever it is, and then hopefully you can express it in a endless amount of ways. That's when, you know, as a creative leader and you can see, wow, this can manifest in a lot of different ways for us. That's when you, you know, you're onto something that can be meaningful for the brand because it can allow you to show up in a new way, but it stays. But, and the
1: idea has extensibility or legs. Is that what you're kind of going when you say that?
0: Uh, I always hated that term, but people go, it's got legs. I'm like, I don't know. Cause most things I know don't have more than four <laughs> legs. Like that's not that's not a lot of things, but like, yes, yeah. it can take you somewhere, I guess is what yeah, it means. Like this will, yeah. this has a lot of potential and, and it used to be that it could go on for years, but now it means, can it go in every single spot? Is that idea smart enough that it can work in a freaking mobile banner if you choose mm-hmm. to go there, you know? Yeah. So first and foremost, that's always the most important thing before you start seeing work. And that's creatively led too. usually because words matter how you say or show that idea. Think different. Those words mattered like it manifests in simple language and people don't give it the credit that it's due. But it's hard. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. There we go. So there's the idea. And then you talked about when you come up with that, it's mostly hunch based. And that's what I love about creatives and advertising is they are a hybrid of a true artist that you go and you look at things out in the world and you're like, I just think that's beautiful. And that's really all you're supposed to think about. Or you can think of whatever it is. It's not selling you anything. Mm -hmm. We're trying to add that to brands that otherwise are just a list of product attributes. And oftentimes have something right next to them that costs almost exactly the same and might even be a little better than them if it's a product. You have this belief in your mind. I think it's when other people start hearing it that you start to either get more confidence in it or less confidence in it internally. And when other people can start to see it, you start to get really excited.
1: So it's kind of an evolving process that as you start to sort of almost hear you saying like you're trying it on, maybe trying it on with others, and it starts to take on a life of its own
0: well you present like you're competing internally as well and that's what's great about agencies is they're just maniacally focused on and i've known this now and now we're working you know with agencies and you have that appreciation of somebody is sitting there trying to figure out how to navigate you into culture in a sticky way that is going to make people feel something about you when they see you yeah and potentially hopefully walk past a lot of other places to buy you. And, you know, when you talk about how do you really know and how do you convince people, you never really know. And that's why it's great to, and I've always been like, you know, I want to work with brave CMOs. And now here I am going, man, I'm going to try and be that brave CMO. <laughs> well, you
1: be it When right?
0: push comes yeah. to shove, uh-huh. yeah, you're looking at a spreadsheet and what your expectation is. And they're like, vending machine, like we're going to put X millions of dollars into paid media and we expect X in return, you know, for that. And it's like, that's not how it works. We're hoping. And um, who was it? John Haggerty. Somebody said the, the Levi's client called him. There was like this crazy campaign that they did with a puppet. What was it? Something, Eric? I can't remember. Anyway, it was, this was ages ago. But And the Levi's client called him the, the night before it ran in the middle of the night and said, I'm really freaking out. Can you promise me that this is going to work, this crazy thing? And he's like, man, none of us can promise you anything is going to work. Like, All we can do is get on our knees and pray at this point because there's no data. There's no testing. And I think testing has probably ruined a lot of brilliant ideas because Maybe. people don't reward new. Testing does not do well at rewarding something that people haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. So therefore, humans, human nature, they see that as weird. But if you put that ocean spray in an animatic in front of people... I 100% guarantee that thing would have never been made. Never. But luckily, some young man decided he was going to just video himself on the way to work.
1: His car broke down, too, is what's funny about that, if, yes. I, if I know the his actual truck story. Broke down,
0: so he had to take his skateboard to work. But you just go, I'm not saying I'm anti-agency, but as an agency person, I point at that and say, that is magic. That is magic. And it's not over architected and it's not thought through to the teeth. And it's not put every correct little thing in there that you're trying to identify and mirror back the audience that you're trying to get, like, and put the music in that they listen to. It's like, there's got to be room for some magic. And I don't care if it's in a banner, like think a little bit more on how you're showing up to people. I'm much more considered about how we're showing up in those spaces and we'll have to worry about it more once we start getting more household penetration, more uptick, and we become, you know, one of these more established brands that are out there in the world. We'll definitely be having to get our game together on more of this performance marketing. And we, we do have a lot of performance marketing that we look into. But right now, I'm trying to push our team and our agencies to say, let's always consider who's on the other end and how we can make that smarter and more just fun for them. I want to be a brand that people are happy to see wherever they see us.
1: And listen, I, I feel like I want to go down a hundred paths of talking about the decades of advertising that you've had participated and the things that worked and didn't work. Like I could spend all afternoon. We, to, should, we could call back, back
0: after this is done and exactly. we'll just uh, do a uh, walk by dog. Exactly. And let's, so I want to hear yours too. Like, oh my gosh, exactly. the war stories.
1: Actually, I'll tell you my very favorite one. We did a thing for Welch's. This is over three decades ago. We did a thing for Welch's. It was... um. We raced to market, pre-testing, said the greatest product ever. It was uh, squeezable. So it was putting jams and jellies in um, mm. in plastic bottles, which hadn't been done at the time, which is a great convenience to consumers. They really liked it. And the advertising should have worked. They raced it to market because they thought they had to beat the competition. What was interesting, nobody had double checked to make sure that the thing could sit around in a refrigerator long enough and still work. And so what happened is the pectin off it was wrong, and you couldn't get the stuff out of the bottle. And what sort of cemented that for us is that we got, somebody sent the bottle back with a brick and said, you can't get the shit out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll never I mean, get that. like it was such a brilliant idea, and but it, that's some yes, consumer feedback. No marketing that was optimization, going to fix that. <laughs> optimization like
0: that's the other thing is like, yes, there is a certain amount of more people are needing to race to market. and as long as it's not going to be something catastrophic, you do need to prototype and like have a bias towards action. you know, I think we're a little bit with that in work too, but that's hilarious.
1: Let's talk about the complexity though, because I do think and just talking to you earlier, Impossible foods like, wow, you're right. You know, the rubber band springs back. I don't really want to save the world. Or do I want to go out of my way if I have to? Do I want to eat something I'm not used to I wasn't raised on? Do I want to, okay, so saving the world's one thing, but then nobody's taking my sustainability score. You can't rely on that. And the messaging of identifying this, and it kind of grow beyond the sort of core who are going to eat plant-based food anyway. Talk a little bit about the challenges there. That you have and trying to get that message right. I bet you people, because it's got to be one of the greatest challenges out there.
0: Oh, it's so much fun. I got to tell you, that's one of the reasons that this was probably the only job that would have pulled me. Because really? everybody's like, oh, and should I be a CMO? I'm like, I'm enjoying it. But it's because of the unique situation of, yeah. I am yeah. working with Peter McGinnis, who I did work with at MasterCard, you know, at McCann and
1: on MasterCard. He's incredible. And what he did, if people don't know, what he did for Jabani is amazing. The best of the best. Yeah. Totally agree with you.
0: Yes, yeah understands purpose-driven food. Yep. I have that to start yep. with. I have the privilege of working with the best leadership team, our chief demand officer, Shereen Jagla. We have people who are here motivated, biased towards action, and have a belief in marketing. So let's start there. But
1: And the Media Monk, do I hear you say Media Monks is part of your team too? Media Monks outside external agency?
0: Yeah, they're an external agency right now and we're doing all of our website redevelopment, You know, not to be wildly out there, but yeah, they're helping us with all of our digital platforms and things and search and stuff like that. Love Wesley. Like, so we're feeling really lucky to be working with those guys because we've never actually had our brand voice with our narrative, like campaign ever really? come out before. We've just been in the press, mm. you know, we've had really incredible amounts of press, like so much energy around the brand until all of a sudden, you know, like you said, there's yeah. in every hype cycle, it comes back and you get the backlash. We had some press out there that was like, oh, a fake meat. It gave us the ability to stand back and go, all right, we need to really give our value prop to people. I think there are a lot of people who love this brand and every person who comes to work here or freelances even, They're like, I have never had more people reach out. And I can say the same. I have never had more engagement than when I announced I was coming over to this brand.
1: Wait, friends who reached out to you because you were going there, is that what you mean? On LinkedIn, yes, yes, just more, I guess like huge
0: people like weighing in going, this is amazing, I love that brand. And I love now going and say, well, do you eat it? And they're like, well, no, because I'm not a vegetarian or vegan. And that's us. We haven't been able to go out there because our product tastes amazing. If you've not had any, I'm going to have some sent to you. And our chicken nuggets have won awards, like in People magazine. Mass, yeah. They're preferred to the animal. So what I'll say is we've got a great product. And I'm not even biased because I did try it a few times. But I was in this category of flexitarians, where Mm -hmm. it's people (laughs) who know that they should probably be eating less meat. We're very inclined about the environment, have an EV or in other ways. But I do eat, you know, and would eat a lot of meat. And wasn't really realizing the impact that meat was having. I was more like from a health aspect, I probably should, but it was just back here. So what we're now doing is a lot of fun, but we're moving fast. It's a tight team. We're figuring out how do we reset the table, so to speak, of how we invite people over. Because we've just left it to people to logically decide, all right, I'm going to come over and save the environment. And you're right. Nobody wants to, when they're tucking into their cheeseburger on a Friday night, hear that because they're like, I'm already, I'm going to an eco-friendly dry cleaner. I'm doing my other things. <laughs>
1: I've I've made my deposit. I, I bought a Tesla. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I got like you I've got my offsets or
0: whatever. And so what we're wanting to do is is show, look, we're not trying to get you to Become vegan or vegetarian, and that's what we hear from kind yeah. of a a, uh, a small hyper vocal okay. minority of people on a far you know okay, okay. other side that are like oh you know trying to take the meat away and all your chemically processed meat you know we just need to come out and actually say it's not only is it fewer ingredients than actual beef has in it what's a fun thing is if you Google the ingredients in beef that they say is a single ingredient imagine you've got a single cow living on one of those feedlots that's getting plied with food that (laughs) Uh that they've like put a ton of stuff in to get it to grow five times faster than it would normally. That's not a single ingredient, folks. It just came from perceptively one animal. So we aren't trying to get dirty. We don't want to go up against big agriculture Mm -hmm. and big meat because they're like a trillion dollar industry. We're like a two and a half billion dollar industry right now. We are just a tiny, tiny thing, but we're wanting to grow into that. And I think they definitely are not happy to see us on the scene for sure. And so we've been feeling some, they've got messaging out there against us and that's fine. We're going to navigate around that too. But our goal right now is to be able to come to market and let the people know, look, we are for meat eaters. We were created for meat eaters and just try it once a month in a lasagna, or a chili. The three things that I've realized when when I got here was that people think we're for vegans and vegetarians. And we're like, we're actually the opposite. We're trying to get meat eaters to come over and then they're like, why would I do that? So that's what we've got to do. We've over burgered, I call it, we've OB'd.
1: Well, because it's in like Burger King and, and other places. No, yeah.
0: no, great on Burger King. Every picture that you see, if oh. you Google or if you put into chat GBT, what's impossible, impossible foods, it'll just say it's burgers. And we're like, It's literally tacos, nachos, lasagnas, chilies, pizzas, anything you make, anything with beef or pork or chicken, like you can use ours. We aren't steaks yet. We aren't whole cut chicken. We aren't a whole cut steak yet, but we can be used in those ways. And again, that's another growth opportunity because most people aren't eating burgers at home. Great for food service, but like They're eating them on the weekends in the summertime. How limiting is that media buy? Like, give me a break. We just need to be like, make one chili a month instead of using beef. Use this. And the impact that can make is so big. And what we're trying to do is also with media monks create an impact calculator that can really tangibly show what, is being saved by eating this meat that tastes nearly identical to the animal meat, but just pick this one instead of that one, you've got 92% less water, greenhouse gas emissions, like trees being cleared. Yep, It's a notable difference. And um, how do you get that out there in a light way where it's like, we're not trying to take your burger, just replace one, even one a year to start. And then hopefully that activity can
1: become more of a behavior. So let's go back to kind of part of your original thesis, right? You know, it's about putting the human back into sort of communications and the messaging. What do you think the optimal opportunity is? It saying like, you know, listen, you can do a little bit more to contribute to a greater good variation of what you kind of said there. You know, listen, it's an alternative. It doesn't have to be the direct, just the burger where you're really just about the beef. You know, you're saying Mm -hmm. you can mix it into other things so you can start to do uh, good for you. I haven't heard you say focus on health as much, although you and know, we do kind have of the health. thesis of vegan or vegetarian. Yeah,
0: it's kind of selling category. Yeah. I mean, people already have a perceptive that we're healthier and we have no cholesterol. We have a lot of health benefits over beef, but that's a category sell. We do want to have that amplified mm-hmm. in the right places, but it's probably not our total lead. but. If you're asking, um, how do you put the human back in there? Like, how do you, how do you convince people who are just fine eating meat? Right. Well, it's a great question because we're about to launch a campaign since. So we'll have to check in right after that.
1: Ooh. Ooh. When are you launching the campaign? Can you say?
0: It's going to be coming out end of April, early May, I think. And um, we're going to be truly just coming out with a clear value proposition. We're working with Wide New York. Oh, okay. And, you're in um, the process right now. We're in the right. process right now
1: this is kind of a real challenge for impossible to kind of go to market and do that, isn't it? To find the sort of either one thread narrative that really does sort of matter and mean to people. And this is not going to be easy.
0: Well, that's the fun part. Totally. But that's where it's like, we got to really follow what, instead of just being clear or informational... That's where yes. we're saying be in yep. those people's shoes, and we don't want to be judgy. I think that's you know, historically nobody likes our that. messaging was right. feeling much more activist, like PETA, very like you should not eat any animals; it's terrible. And we've got to really walk our way in there to show that it's the easiest on ramp in, and truly getting more people to try it a few times is really our goal. Don't let perfection get in the way of progress, you know. And as people try it, one out of two buys again and buys it over and over
1: who's got that kind of repeat rate i imagine very few has that exactly
0: especially for something that's so weird people go to the store and they're like i don't understand why it looks like that and it must be chemicals and we're like, we are truly having to dial up all of our social channels and everything because it's all educational Uh, about this is why it's red. It's this thing called heme and it's found in soybean root systems of nodules that are there that act just like blood. If you ferment them, you know, we ferment beer and things all the time. And so it's truly in process of saying, demystifying, like how do we make this stuff? It's really got less things in it than most of the things you eat, including the bun that will be housing your burger. And how do you take the first step? What's the up here? What's the big message? And then how can you follow it up with other smaller messages? And then also, we have a couple plans for our social channels that will hopefully be highly entertaining, but hardcore educational at the same time, that can just go on and on and on and, and just be almost like a an engine that just makes stuff itself. And um, non-AI version of that. But... Um, it's truly been one of the toughest things I've done in my career, but I will say that's kind of the part that I love.
1: You know what I like about this lesson, this whole conversation is that I think you've really captured the zeitgeist. My parents never understood what the hell I did for a living either. And love people, you know, like, you know, we're probably the only profession where everybody in the world's doing marketing as a side hustle. You know, they all think they know it. It's very funny. Everybody thought, oh, Isn't I got a clever funny? idea. It's like, yeah, nobody gives a shit about your clever idea, buddy. Okay. but Knock it off.
0: Everybody can weigh in on that. Well, not even that. It's like, we'll watch other people present. It's like, well, we believe this amino acid is going to be the best. And I would never question that. Nobody would question what R&Ds or whatever, or even the financials. Yeah. But when our team gets up, because everyone in the room is a consumer and they've all had creative, everybody feels that they can weigh in on what the team's done. And it's just been in, through the history of time in my whole career. It's always cracked me up and then also made me cry.
1: And it's kind of that too, but it's kind of back to that magic. Like <laughs> it's really finding that sort of unique moment where it all sort of comes together in such a way that you can communicate something that actually matters to people. I mean, we didn't even really touch here on sort of the emotional dynamic of where you need to get to on some of this stuff to kind of bring people in. We, you know, you and I talked earlier about that.
0: Food is one of the most emotional things you're going to have and especially people's relationship with meat. If you can imagine like grandma's, Fill in the blank. Yes. You know, this
1: is a really interesting one, but probably one of the most, you know, aside from maybe EVs at some level, which has its own political complexities, having talked to some of those companies about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's a whole other sort of, we didn't get started there. You've got probably elements of that in yours. But um, listen, you're really trying to balance again. I mean, you know, you've got something so important. It's day in, day out. It's new. It's different. It's unique. It's attached to a group that not everybody wants to attach themselves to. You've got political dynamics. You've got messaging coming in that are sort of countering that. Oh my God, this does sound like fun to figure out. I would like that. I do like hard.
0: A lot of people who are, I've always been very comfortable in chaos and I think never want me to be balancing the books for sure. You know, everybody's got their gift of what they're bringing to the table. So in our team, it's been a real challenge. I'm not saying it's not stressful for sure. And having to figure out which of these things to participate in and which ones are the best roi those are the conversations that we are just having this week and today are like well if we know we're converting but having to do it at at a just kind of level at this stage of our brand of trying to create awareness and grow trial which thing is going to be the most compelling to put more into the high impact or to sustain with some of that lower funnel and we're deep into it but we're more psyched that we have a company and a brand that people already have a predisposition to say how cool it is and they're not buying it yet so it's like i'm feeling good there
1: yeah you've got a good base that's true that's true
0: we've got a great brand we've got a great product and so now it's the complexity of persuasion at scale and getting people to change their behavior and that's all i've pretty much ever been doing in my career so i love it you know we'll see where it goes and iterate quickly as we learn
1: I got one last topic here we're going to do. So, you know, as I mentioned to you, I often kind of finish a little bit with like, you know, what does it mean to get to the C-suite? How, you know, work to be at the top of the levels. I mean, I'd love to go through your agency experience you and like a probably tell agency, crazy ass stories all the time and sort of that business. But I have another question for you. I, this is kind of, a, there might be one or two parts here, but this is the main main one to just kind of wrap up. Given you sat on the agency and you worked with CMOs all the time in order to help them to have the courage to do great magical work, and listen, we all respect our hard work. Now that you sit in the office of CMO of a company working back with agencies, what advice do you have for your former self, for the chief creative officer, and what they needed to do to be helpful? To Like, what did you learn different? I'm curious.
0: I will say... We've worked with a couple of project bases. The first one we worked with Super Serious, and, and um, Terry Cruz has a company. He started with Matt O'Rourke and Paul Sutton. Great experience. And that one, I was kind of bridging into the creative as well. Matt and I go back and we had to put something out in market last summer and it was a great experience, but I was realizing, you know, I got to start pulling into more managing all of the things that the brand is and really rely on the agencies to do it. I would say we did work, you know, with a couple other project base and I could see the fissures of, and maybe it's part of the project base thing is you can easily see when somebody is most concerned about putting something on their reel and they're less concerned about what it might do for your company, even if it's high risk. So I'm like, all right, I totally have been that person where you're trying to cram something through because you deeply just wanna have it on your reel. So I would say it's easily seen when you're doing that. Mm. I'm now on the other (laughs) end. And like I said, it's been few and far between. I have not experienced that at all with the agency we're working with now, nor with, you know, the first one. But, you know, there were a yeah. couple in between that were there. And then I think it's just understanding. But the best creatives usually have is understanding the pressures that that CMO is under. I worked Deloitte. One of the last things I did and drew me to this job actually was they had done a study over the course of years about the CMO role and how It's become less important in a company, not because they don't need it, but because so many other C's have shown up. You know, the chief innovation officer, the chief digital officer, the chief Mm -hmm. whatever, all these other Mm -hmm. chiefs have shown up and a lot of high expense, largely digital ecosystem things that people are putting a lot of money in because it's quantifiable. And this CMO largely is getting less budget and less support around the table, because all those C's are still focused entirely on the company itself. It's really easy to sit in a meeting and the entire time never speak about outside the building and what's happening out in the world and how are we going to get our company out there and people to love it more. You're going to scrutinize a spreadsheet. You're going to scrutinize things. And they rarely have the support.
1: Well, and I think what you're saying is that somebody in the company, if I'm hearing what you're saying, that somebody in the company, somebody at the C-suite level needs to be the one that's connecting that company back to human beings.
0: A hundred percent. Yes.
1: And that's damn hard.
0: Back to your audience, the people who you're... Are supposed to be buying your stuff.
1: The flakiness of which consumers make decisions, the needs that they're trying to satisfy, the things that they're trying to accomplish, the other pressures they've got in their life that somehow you as a company are connecting with that person so hard to do. Oh my God.
0: Yeah.
1: And like you said, did I remember any ad from today? Mm.
0: Hopefully, you'll remember all of them from Sunday night. I'm very curious. All right. What are you looking forward to? I didn't even ask you about Super Bowl.
1: I am the same as you. I'm like, everybody commercials on, shut up, please be quiet. You can <laughs> even the bad game.
0: ones I love watching. I'm
1: like, oh my God. They're all great. It's all great. And I, I love the fact that we come together and sort of put so much energy and effort into one thing. I think we're up to 7 million. Are we up to $7 million or 30 now? Did I hear that?
0: It's $7 million. Yeah. I thought it had gone up to seven and a half, but it's still 7 million.
1: I remember long enough when it was getting close to a million and we were shocked at that. Yeah. Yeah. I will tell you, just by the way, just FOI, if anybody cares, and then we'll kind of close up here because we're going to get you and I got kind of to go on. I've actually measured the impact of Super Bowl and, and in a particular sort of TV. It still really works. It's incredible. I mean, it really, oh, yeah. I, even at $7 million, my guess is that the research validates it's the deal of the century still.
0: It's one of the only shared experiences that we have left in one culture. Of the only. One of the only ones, and that was one of the things I was going to send to you, is HBO does it right. Right now they're doing True Detective, where they only release it episodically once a week. So we all have to wait to see what it's going to be, but it means we're all at the same place. There are almost no other things in the world right now, with the exception of sports, that will get us to all be in the same place at the same time on a certain topic. And I really wish that there would be more brands that could create more of a shared reality and more of these shared experiences and find places to do that, because I'm with you. I think it absolutely moves the needle. How many other times until next year are all those eyeballs going to be looking in the same place at the same time, largely in their own family rooms or somebody else's?
1: Not at one time in a condensed sort of three-and-a-half-hour period, exactly. Exactly. Well, listen, Leslie, like we said, I, I love Peter. He was so helpful to me in getting the MMA sort of point in the right direction. He was incredibly respected the board, and I really do think that he was one of those people that was just very special. He had magic. He saw a channel of the world that nobody else did, and he did an amazing job for Chobani. So I think that's what's— and listen, that was good for people, too, but this is a whole other level of good in the world, so I was really excited when he went there. I totally agree with you. Like if there was one thing to go do, this might be it. You yeah. know, just in your point, like, I just don't want to go do another job. Like this is a place to go and really create a dent in the world, uh, in the universe. So, I can't uh, thank you enough for doing this today and congratulations too to be in there and I look forward to the new campaign. It's gonna be a very interesting journey to watch you and Peter work this out.
0: Thank you and thank you so much for having me on and absolutely, I, I'm very keen to follow up and cross your fingers. I'm gonna light all the candles and burn sage or whatever before we run the campaign, <laughs> just like every client now and like, oh my God, I hope it works, but I, I couldn't be happier with the team that's working yeah. on it with us. So, well, good, but yeah, good. happy to check back in whenever and best of luck to you too.
1: Sounds good. Thank you, Leslie.
0: Thank you, take care.
1: Really, thanks again to Leslie Sims from Impossible Foods for coming on Building Better CMOs. Check the description of this episode for links to connect with Leslie. If you want to know more about MMA's work to unlock the power of marketing, visit MMAglobal.com or you can attend any one of the 30 plus conferences in 15 countries where MMA operates, or really write me, Greg, at MMAglobal.com. Thank you so much for listening. Tap the link in the description to leave us a review. If you're new to the show, please follow or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find links to all those places and more at BetterCMOs.com. Our producer and podcast consultant is Eric Johnson from LightningPod.fm. Our project manager is Lily Mahoney. Artwork is by Jason Chase. And a very special thanks to Lucero Smith. This is Greg Stewart. I'll see you in two weeks.